So if you look at this picture, it took almost three years for this painting, this work of art to be completed. Recognize it? One of the most recognized paintings in the world, isn't it? You know what it's called? It's called the... Right. Who painted it? Da Vinci over here, Da Vinci over there, the middle section, uh, Michelangelo. Nope, it was Leonardo Da Vinci. Yep. Harder question. What year was it completed? 1498. 1498. Guess what? 520-something years ago. Can you imagine that? Da Vinci's trying to capture this moment where Jesus says, someone at this table... Someone at this table is going to betray me. And so he paints that. It's one of the most admired, one of the most studied paintings, right, uh, in the world. It's 15 feet by 29 feet. And you won't find it in uh, the, a massive piece like this in a museum. It's somewhere else. Do you know where it is? I know I'm asking you all these questions. I had to look it up, right? It's, it's actually in a convent. In a convent in Milan, Italy, the convent Santa Maria delle Grazie. I don't know if I said that right in Italian, but that's where it is, Milan, Italy. And did you know this? I didn't know this about this painting, that ever since the time it was painted, it's been falling apart. Leonardo da Vinci wasn't just a painter, he was an inventor. He tried to do something different with this painting. He tried to use, instead of the, the common wet plaster, he tried to use some dry plaster. Because you could do things more artistically with it. But as soon as he completed it, it began to just flake off the wall. And ever since they, he painted it, people have been trying to restore it. So 1498 and 1652, they installed a doorway in the dining hall. You see that? They cut off Jesus' feet. During World War II, vibrations of allied bombs deteriorated even more. In 1980, they tried a 19-year kind of restoration process, but some people say that only 20% of the original is actually left. 20%. Here's my point. As much as this work of art is a masterpiece, it is, it's not a lasting piece of work. But what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is absolutely lasting for us. By the master of all masters, God in the flesh, Jesus himself, whose words, right, have stood the test of time. Amen? So I want you to think about this night 2,000 years ago where Jesus tells 12 people, right? He says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And the Christian church has been doing this ever since. I think that's amazing. I'm talking about the Lord's Supper. He instituted something different that night. Holy communion, we call it, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, the sacrament of the altar. A lot of names for that. What we're going to do is remember that. Tonight, we're going to remember his words right before he's betrayed, right before he's arrested, before his crucifixion. I want you to open up your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 Beginning in, in verse 12, remember it's the night before he is crucified. Hope to see you tomorrow night. Tomorrow during the day, we have 1 o'clock and 7 o'clock, and then we celebrate Easter at 9.15 and 11. Beginning in verse 12 of Mark 14. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat 
the Passover. I want to pause here for just a minute and we're going to talk a little bit about Passover because as Jesus followers today, we get to celebrate Christmas, we get to celebrate Easter, tonight, Good Friday, all those kinds of times of the year where we get to remember. And Jesus, uh, prior to Jesus, God's people in the Old Testament did the same thing where they regularly met together because the Lord said to do it, to remind each other what had happened. And it's a great time to teach spiritual truths to the next generation. So I'm thankful for the next generation. All you kids out there that are listening, even if you're coloring or whatever else, you're going to hear something that I say. So I just wanted to say, awesome that you guys are here, and we're going to include you when we have Holy Communion tonight. So don't let me forget to say something about that later. Not that you get to receive it, but you get to come up, okay, uh, if you haven't had instruction yet. So, so what we're doing is just remembering Remembering the way God's people, the way the Lord said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to have yearly celebrations to teach the next generation. One of those is Passover. And it happened, it said, during the Festival of Unleavened Bread. That usually followed Passover for like seven days. So the Jews of Jesus' day, they have this special way of cherishing and reviewing God's grace. And guess what? In Jesus' day, this event of Passover happened 1,400 years before Jesus and his followers uh, were even existed on this earth. So think about that. Today, 3,400 years ago, we're still thinking and, 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 and just remembering what God had done. So their scriptures, that's how they remembered their history. They, re, they memorized their history. They memorized their scriptures. They told stories in a very oral culture. But somebody had to read it. Somebody had to organize those scriptures. What we call the Old Testament was organized a little differently for the people of Jesus' day. It was called the Tanakh. don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's a Hebrew acronym, Tanakh. T stands for the Torah, the first five books of Moses, right? The N stands for, um, what's the word? Let me read it in Hebrew. Nevi'im. Thank you. <laughs> almost forgot it. Torah, Nevi'im, means the prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets. The one that wrote a lot, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and the one that wrote just little, like Joel, and, and the other ones we can't pronounce hardly, right? The Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim stands for the writings. So the T, the N, and the K. The, the wisdom literature, the Psalms, and, and the Proverbs, that's the Tanakh. That's how they organized their scripture. And so they knew what God had said and what God had commanded, that not only do they celebrate the Passover, but really the, 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 the time when the angel of death would come and pass over the house. We're going to read about that. In Jesus' day, they would cherish, they would read, they would remember. I'm going to go to Exodus 12. You can go there with me, or you can just see it on the screen. Exodus 12 is really uh, where they remembered the story. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. Lambs, this is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, eat it in haste, and it's the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of, of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you. 
on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So you imagine at Jesus' Last Supper, they're reviewing this. They're cherishing God's grace. They're remembering how God not only passed over those homes, but led them out with a pillar of cloud and fire, right? And how he parts the, Moses parts the Red Sea and, and the people of Israel walk on dry ground and, and the Egyptians that were chasing them and pursuing them, the enemies just were flooded, right? Were drowned in the sea. How God saved his people. Passover was really a special night. And so they're celebrating that. So back to Mark chapter 14 now. Again, where, where Jesus, remember, he, the disciples asked, where and how would you want us to celebrate this? Verse 13 says, Jesus sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. I want you to not miss this opportunity because I'm in awe of Jesus here because he foretells to his best friends, listen, this is what's going to happen. He knows the future. And just exactly happened how he said it would be. Verse 17. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. That's what da Vinci's trying to capture in that painting, this moment where they said that. Verse 20, it is one of the twelve. He replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. Something I do every year on Good Friday in the morning time usually um, is read all the end chapters of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And just like the end of, uh, of the, like the last three chapters about this night and going on. And we know from John's Gospel in this section where he says, one who dips the bread into the bowl, that John was leaning close to Jesus. And Jesus actually says to him, it's Judas. In the Gospel of John, it says, the minute that, that Judas dipped that uh, bread into the bowl, Satan entered him. Ugh, yuck, right? And yet Jesus knows all this is about to happen. Verse 21 the Son of Man will go. That means he's going to die. The Son of Man will die. Just as is written about him. Where? In the Tanakh. In all the Old Testament prophecies. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it. All drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. We know from Luke's gospel at this point, Jesus also says, Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When he sung a hymn, 
common what they do in Passover, singing hymns. They went out to the Mount of Olives. So here we are that night in the upper room, someone's home, Jesus celebrating something, remembering what Passover is about. Right before he's arrested, put on trial to die on the cross the next day in the book of Luke, it's interesting how Jesus said, I eagerly desire. And if you read the Greek part of that, it's like, I desire, desired. I truly desire to eat this Passover with you because he's going to institute something new for not just the disciples then, but for all of us now. And so we call this night Maundy, not Monday, but Maundy, which stands for mandatum, a Latin word that says, this I command you. In the Gospel of John, he says, I command you that you love one another as I have loved you. That's why we say Monday. Some Christians call it Holy Thursday. That's what I know it as, Holy Thursday. It's a special night, and we're gonna, what we're going to do is just focus on three things uh, tonight in my message. Number one, we're going to cherish the blessings of the past. Number two, enjoy the blessings of the present. And three, anticipate the blessings of the future. Cherish the past, enjoy what's given now, and anticipate with hope, really, what the future holds for us. So when you cherish something, think about it. When you cherish something, you keep it on your mind, right? It's regularly what we do. I think about it often. I hold it dear and near to my heart. I have fondness, fondness over it, right? So we get to cherish these blessings of the past, just like the, the people of God in Jesus' day did with the Passover. And tonight, we remember. We remember how in Exodus it says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will pass over you. God's people, Israel, they obeyed what God told him or told them to do. And so they, they take a one-year-old perfect lamb. They kill it. They slaughter it. They put the blood over the, the doorposts and door frames of, of their home. And the angel of death goes over that household. For those that don't have that, what happens they're not spared. God's judgment is upon them. And I think about this, you know what? If the people of Israel didn't obey that, what would happen to them? They wouldn't be spared, just like the Egyptians who didn't obey either. So this Jewish Passover celebration, they get to cherish God's grace, God's grace over them. We know from Scripture that, that in the book of Ezekiel, especially, that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He gives chances upon chances upon chances. This is the tenth and final plague. And they weren't listening, and they weren't listening. And now, because we live on the other side of the cross, we have the luxury of, of being able to look back and say, oh, all these things, they point to Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 29, his cousin, John the Baptist, says, Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Do you see it? Do you see the connection? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 tells us how this blood of this Lamb impacts us. In him we have redemption. He buys us back from sin and death and the devil. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance of the riches of his grace. God's grace on me. And on you, and then in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it describes the importance of blood from, from a sacrificial point of view without the shedding of blood. Hebrews says, the writer of Hebrews says, there's no forgiveness. Let's have some high winds. <clears throat> or God's telling me something. 
That's happened before, you know. We, brothers and sisters in Christ, as fellow, really as fellow Jesus followers, okay, tonight we cherish, we cherish this, we remember regularly with fondness what Jesus did for us, that he would die on a cross, right? That he would sacrifice himself. It's the great exchange, right? My sins for Jesus' righteousness. His innocent death, the death death that I deserve that I don't have to because he did. So we cherish that. We honor that. Not only do we get to do that uh, and really cherish that, but we get to enjoy what he offers in the present. What he offers in this present moment. And so let's talk about that a little bit. I want to explain a little bit more about what uh, the disciples meant, how and why. In verse 12, Mark 14, it says, Where do you want us to go? and to make preparation for you to eat the Passover. You see, there's special preparations that go in uh, celebrating Passover. What they would do is they would have to, to clean the home, clean the house, the room where they uh, were going to be, especially of all the leaven, of all the yeast. I mean, it couldn't come in. That was, that was God's command. Because what does leaven do if you think about it? They eat, the Jewish people, even to this day, they eat this special bread called matzah. Matzah bread is made without yeast because yeast or leaven, it puffs up, doesn't it? That's what it does. It puffs up. It makes bigger. And so the Bible consistently uses yeast and leaven as a way to describe pride, sin. The, the, The Pharisees, you remember Jesus saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But then in other parts of Scripture, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes about this. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, you see it, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, God's people used to prepare their home and get all the yeast from it, all the leaven. So that's an encouragement for us today in the present. How? How so? As we celebrate the Lord's Supper tonight. You see, our body is a home, right? Is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who dwells in us. And God, because we are sinner and saint at the same time, wants us to regularly remove the leaven, remove and confess the sin that's in our hearts, the obstacle that gets in the way of our relationship with God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says it this way, Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. We celebrate communion. We acknowledge our sinfulness. That's what the scripture says. And St. Paul says it this way, that when we take Holy Communion, we ought to examine ourselves. Just like God's people in Egypt, they had something to do too. They had to obey God. They had to put lamb's blood on the doorframe. So too, when we come to communion, we confess. We confess what's on our hearts and our minds. We'll do that in a little bit. And so we enjoy the blessings of the present by thanking God. Thank you, God. For dying for our sins, right? Thank you that your shed blood covers over me. Thank you that I have eternal life. Thank you I have forgiveness of sins. That's what we get to do. And I often th- think about the, the disciples on this night. 
You know, when, when Jesus says these words, take and eat, this is my body. What? What are you talking about? This is my body. Take and drink this cup, this Passover cup that I'm really changing now because this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for me. What? What does that mean? I imagine they were clueless, right, until the Holy Spirit comes. And again, we have that luxury of looking back to see, oh, this is how all these things point to Jesus. Oh, and the Holy Spirit lives in us to help us understand the connection that his body sacrificed on the cross was to pay for our sins. That his blood poured out as an offering to take away God's judgment for us. That's unbelievable. And so when we come to Holy Communion, it truly is a mystery. In fact, did you know the word mystery in the Latin is sacrament? So as believers in Jesus, we believe it's more than just a remembrance. Yes, we have to remember. It is truly a remembrance of his death and his resurrection when we celebrate Holy Communion. But it's more than that. It's not just a symbol because God said, take, Jesus said, take and eat. This is, 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 is not as like, is not, is not like, you know, it might be, but, but it is. And how do we explain that? We can't. It's a mystery for the forgiveness of our sins. So every time we receive that, we remember the sacrifice and we receive God's grace. Romans 3.25 says it this way. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by what? By faith. For Christ... We read this in 1 Corinthians 5. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So tonight we enjoy the bread and the wine that is also what we say in, with, and under the body and blood for the assurance of our forgiveness and our salvation. And so I want you to hear this, okay? Yeah? There's no sin that Jesus doesn't forgive. There's no sin that he doesn't forgive. His sacrifice and his shed blood was effective for all, for the sins of the world, for all those that lived before us, for all those who are living now, and for all those who will live after we're gone. He forgives. He gives grace. And this is a lasting thing that we get to do until he comes again. That's why he, he called it a new covenant. That we no longer, or they no longer need animal sacrifices. They no longer need a temple, right? They no longer need priests to intercede. Jesus is all we need, amen? He sacrifices for us. And because we're sinful, right, to this day, right, we get to receive this ongoing present moment. We get to rejoice not just that, but then we get to anticipate the blessings of the future. What does that mean? Did you catch it in verse 25 of Mark 14? I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Anticipating the blessings of the future with hope. Because Jesus, we already established, knows everything that's going to happen in the future, right? And so there's going to be a day. When we will drink wine and eat in an eternal kingdom, what that looks like, I have no idea, right? But there's going to be a heavenly banquet, a heavenly table that we get to eat and we get to drink with him. 
There's going to be no more need for alcohol-free wine. We don't have to worry about drunkenness. There's going to be no more need for gluten-free because we're not going to have allergies to anything, right? We're going to be holy. We're going to be perfect. And we're going to believers are going to be unified. There's not just going to be Lutheran, right? There's going to be Catholic and Baptist, Methodist, Greek Orthodox, whatever, all in unity with each other. Isn't that going to be a moment? It's going to be a moment where you're going to be reunited with your loved ones. I was thinking about this, that those who died, I mean, I just had a buddy of mine uh, we're talking to that uh, his, his mother committed suicide. And she was a believer. And she was just so in despair about her, her life that she took her own life. I had to encourage him this week. Seeing another person who told me, what? She, he asked me as well the same question. What, what, what about those kids that, that died in the womb? You know, God's grace on them. And if that's something like you, that, that you get to see your child, right? What hope that we can anticipate the blessing of God's grace in the future for that. I don't know what it's going to be like, but as I get older, I want that day to come. I want that day to come. I have a full assurance that I'm going to be with God because he is faithful. He put his name on me as a little kid, six months old. Put his Holy Spirit in me. Look at what Revelation 21.4 says. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more pain. And that old, the bus, old body of mine needs that. 2 Peter 3.13 says it this way. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. I can't imagine what that place is going to be like. It's going to be perfect. Can't imagine. 1 Corinthians 2.9 describes heaven like this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. Is that some hope? Blessings of a future. It's awesome. I can't wait. And as a Fellow pastor in this place with Joe and RJ, what a blessed night that we get to cherish the past. We get to enjoy the present, right? We get to anticipate what the future holds for us. That last supper that da Vinci painted, right? I mean, it is a work of art. It's truly a masterpiece. But what Jesus did on this night, I mean, it carries forward from this day on right to the present all the way until the end of time when he returns again it's a gift for you it's a gift for me to receive tonight so tonight we come as sinful people right god i need you we leave forgiven by jesus himself so what i want you to do right now in the quietness of your heart just take your time would you close your eyes would you bow your heads would you confess your sins whether they're general or if you have something specific on your heart. And then I'm going to give you instructions on how we're going to commune tonight at the prayer rail.
You know, the Bible says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God says he's faithful and he's just to forgive. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, hear the words of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, all God's people say, amen. So tonight... Before I invite Pastor Joe and other people from the hospitality team, I'll speak the words of institution first. But what we're going to do tonight is this. Uh, hospitality team, um, after I speak the words Jesus spoke, we're going to come up here and they're going to invite you, not come up here, but they're going to invite you by row to come to the altar. And we're going to fill the row. You're going to take the bread and the wine that's been consecrated and you're going to wait until Pastor Joe and I say take eat and take drink. If you can't come down here or for whatever reason uh, you can't be uh, at the prayer rail. You can stand, you can kneel, doesn't matter. The members of the hospitality team, if you can't come, just raise your hand and they'll commune you, commune you at your seats. Again, I want the kids to come down because we'll give a blessing. Uh, if you don't want to take communion and you don't know what's going on right now with, with Holy Communion and you're new to this place, you can still come down and we'll be happy to give a blessing over you. Just a moment to celebrate, to write, to cherish the past, to remember what we get to enjoy in the present, and then the hope for a future. And then we'll dismiss you at the prayer rail. Make sense? All right, so Jesus words on the night when he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it he gave it to his disciples and said take eat this is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of me the same way also after supper he took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me peace be with you